Hey, buddy, how you doing? You look great. I just want to say that, uh, you know, things are going well over here. It's really cold. We got snow on the ground, which is why I find it sort of ironic that you are wearing a little toboggan. That's what we call hats, knitted hats in the South, toboggans. Some people think a toboggan is a thing that you you sled on, uh, which it can be, but in the South, we call the hat uh, a toboggan. And you're wearing one right now, and you are in LA, which is probably one of the warmest places in the country. Any thoughts? I am wearing a warm hat because it's a little cold in the apartment right now. It's actually a gray, rainy day. Ah, Uh, It does rain in Los Angeles and not just gold coins from heaven after you sell the hottest screenplay in all the land. It also just rains real water. And that's what we're dealing with today. So it's a little gray and a little rainy and a little cool. And so, yes, John, I am wearing a little toboggan. I'm wearing my little gray toboggan. Ah, it looks good to me. So that's all fun. We're just having fun here on our podcast with our microphones and our headphones. My name's um, totally spaced out. My name is Kid Midas, uh, the original Wave Rider, and I'm joined by Long John Silver. Hello. How are you doing? Well, I'm okay, but we do have to begin with something a little out of character for us, and that is a public apology to a huge movie star. The floor is yours. Last week on this podcast called Election Profit Makers, which you're currently listening to, I spoke out of turn about Keanu Reeves in not one, but in two different ways. And I am here to publicly apologize because I cannot afford to burn any bridges in Hollywood. So let me address these two misconceptions that I inadvertently propagated last week, perpetuated rather. Mel Gibson, the hateful, sexist, anti-Semitic, homophobic fanatic, who in spite of all of our best intentions through cancel culture still has a career. He is going to be in a John Wick property, but no, he is not going to be co-starring and quote unquote shooting guns, unquote, with Keanu Reeves in the next John Wick movie, as I thought. Listeners pointed out to me that Mel Gibson, I'm sorry, I should say Mr. Gibson, the great statesman, the elder statesman of Hollywood, (laughs) is going to be starring in a TV series prequel to John Wick which is called The Continental, which is about some hotel that all the world's assassins stay in. I can't believe I have to say this as an adult male entering my fucking sunset years, my golden years. Wasn't The Continental the SNL sketch? (laughs) It is a mashup franchise between two great pieces of intellectual property, the John Wick world and the Christopher Walken Continental (laughs) world. Exactly. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, No, the Continental within the John Wick universe is some hotel and all the great assassins of the world. It's like a secret society or a club or something. They all stay at this hotel and they all have like they use poker chips for money or something. I can't remember. But anyway, there's going to be a there's you know how they can't they can't leave well enough alone with this IP. These Hollywood people. Right. They have one Mm -hmm. hit franchise. They have to milk it for all it's worth. I don't blame them. I would do the same thing with election profit makers. Smart. Imagine if Mel Gibson called us up and said, I want to be in a TV based prequel to the election profit makers universe. I would put aside all my ethical concerns in an instant. Yep. Anyway, all I have to say is I'm sorry for mischaracterizing Mel Gibson's role in the John Wick universe. However, I will say that I'm pretty sure Keanu Reeves must be an executive producer on this Continental show, right? Like, he is Mr. John Wick. He definitely has an EP credit. So I still am kind of giving you a little bit of side-eye, Keanu. Why did you think it would be a good idea to hire Mel Gibson? Now, moving on to the second bit of Keanu Reeves' apologia. Another. Yep, there's a second, there's a second batch coming up, hot and fresh out of the oven of shame. All right. 
I was talking about this new Matrix movie that came out and got the whole town talking. And I said, I can't believe that Keanu Reeves is still running around shooting guns in a Matrix movie. And then multiple listeners said, actually, Keanu Reeves very pointedly never shoots a gun in the new Matrix movie. He doesn't actually shoot a pistol and go bang, bang with bullets coming out of them. And again, I'm sorry I made an ass out of you and me because I assumed that he would be shooting guns as is his habit in in these Matrix movies. And again, although I am apologizing, I am also not quite apologizing because I will say that there are plenty of guns being fired in this new Matrix movie. And I know because I watched the first 20 minutes 11 times trying to get into it. So, Mr. Reeves, as always, I remain your devoted fan, and I hope that you remember as fondly as I do the night we were both dining at the same restaurant on Hillhurst Avenue in Los Angeles, California. The woulda, coulda, shouldas. If I had just been a little more forward and brave, I could have hopped out of my seat, removed my white linen napkin from my collar, and said, Mr. Reeves, thrusting my hand into his face, The name's David Reese, or Kid Midas for you podcast heads out here. Now, at this point, I'm addressing everyone in the the entire restaurant. I'm a big fan, and it would be a pleasure to work with you. I just have two rules, Mr. Reeves. (laughs) No Mel Gibson and no guns. The end. Next segment. Woo. So let me ask you a question before we get to the next segment. Uh, Is that possible that you could approach somebody? I'm not familiar with how Hollywood works. Uh, did, did you actually, are you prepared at all times to go approach somebody that's famous to give them an elevator pitch? I don't know if that's the term and you're doing great. No, that is. Okay. Uh, is, is that's frowned upon or do do you just have to do that in order to make it? I don't think I would ever do that in a million years. I think I would rather die penniless and alone then approach a celebrity and try to pitch them on a project. I kind of feel like there's a story somewhere where you did that once, though. Didn't you chase somebody down the street? <laughs> Missy Elliott. John, you're right. That was, And maybe this is why I gave up the habit of doing this. Years ago in Manhattan, on a, on a blustery Friday night, I think, I was waiting to meet somebody. And there was a big black SUV idling in front of an apartment complex. There was a chauffeur. And there was a woman sitting in the passenger seat. And I realized this SUV was parked directly in front of me. I realized the, that it was Missy Elliott. Uh-huh. And she was like looking at her phone or something. She wasn't looking at me. But the driver and I locked eyes. And to the driver, I mouthed, is that Missy Elliott? And he kind of chuckled and looked away. Like, what's he going to say? Yes. And she would love for you to come approach her. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I, and I don't usually do this, but I was so I was so starstruck. I mean, this is Missy Elliott was. She was probably a couple years off the absolute height of her cultural dominance at that point. And I was a huge okay. fan of Missy Elliott and Timberland. I knocked on the. This is so bad. I knocked on the window on her window. Oh, love it. And she rolled it down, and I said, "I just have to say, I'm such a, I'm such a huge fan, you know." I just think you're so creative and I just, and I just think it's wonderful. Like I just, I just wanted to say that. And she laughed and said, thank you. Then a bunch of women in fur coats came out of the apartment building and got in the back door of the SUV. And Missy Elliott said something like, well, got to go by or whatever, rolled up the window and they pulled out. Then I remember, <laughs> 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 Oh, I'm really going to share this. 
Then I remembered that I did at that point literally have a duffel bag or like a backpack with many, many, many copies of the original photocopied hand-stapled edition of My New Fighting Technique is Unstoppable because I this is back when I was still stealing photocopies from office jobs, stapling them at home, and then selling them on consignment at, at comic book stores throughout New England. And I guess I was in Manhattan probably to drop some off at Jim Hanley's Universe or St. Mark's Comics or one of the oh, places. Oh, so you didn't even live there. This no, was, I was this in was Brooklyn. Pre- I was living in Brooklyn. I was in Manhattan. All right. All right. And I thought, oh, my God, I have a bag full of my new fighting techniques unstoppables. I like Missy Elliott. She'll love this comic. If I can get her a copy of this comic, we'll become best friends and my life will be changed forever. I tore off down the street running after this SUV. (laughs) Missy, 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 Missy. But, of course, the SUV was not going to slow down for some lanky idiot waving a backpack above his head, trying to get their attention so that he could give her a copy of his comic. Uh, Interesting side note, though, I will say that through a publishing connection, I do happen to know that the RZA of the Wu-Tang Clan did receive a copy of Fighting Technique and looked at at least one page, but I'm not sure if he liked it or not, but I do know that. Yep. Well, congratulations. Taking a look at my portfolio, I decided to take some profits this week. Oh, really? Yeah. I had all these shares of Beasley being the dim nominee for U.S. Senate. Sherry Beasley running for North Carolina Senate on the Democratic ticket. Yeah. And I decided to cash <gasps> out John. at 97 cents. I mean- I, Oh, it's not, at 97? Not, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Even Erica Smith is at one cent. And I remember supporting Erica Smith the last time around. Yeah. They're still texting me even after I've told them that I'm supporting Sherry Beasley. But look at that. Yeah, she's at 96 now. So how many shares did you sell? Uh, 199. Oh, you got some good money. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't bad. All right. So now I've got a little extra money to throw around some other places, and I'm trying to decide where to put it. Well, John, since we recorded last, there's been some pretty big news in North Carolina politics. Oh, yes. A very famous singer has decided to enter the race in David Price's old district. Why don't you bring us up to speed on what I'm talking about? Yes. uh, Just last week, former American Idol contestant and native North Carolinian Clay Aiken announced that he is going to run for the Democratic nominee for the sixth district here in North Carolina. It's uh, actually, at the moment, it's the fourth district, but it will be the sixth district uh, after all this redistricting takes place. Uh, And he wants to get in there and take over for David Price, who has announced he's retiring after many, many decades. And uh, he put out a a video explaining his... um, positions and why he wants to get involved. And he wants to be the first LGBTQ congressperson from the South to get elected. And if there is any uh, district you'd want to be running in, it would be the fourth or the soon to be sixth in North Carolina, which is Durham, Chapel Hill, and Carborough, which are two of the uh, three of the most liberal communities in the South, if not the entire U.S., and Chapel Hill actually had the first openly gay politician of any kind in the former Confederacy 
Do you remember back in the 80s and 90s when we had Joe Hertzenberg on the Chapel yeah. Hill City Council? He was the first out politician of any former Confederate state. Yeah. And Carborough has had three LGBTQ mayors. Uh, so, And Clay yeah. Aiken's video, his announcement video, which I thought was pretty good. It is so hard to... There's nothing harder than speaking directly to camera while sitting on a stool and somehow looking comfortable. And I kind of feel like he pulled it off. But boy, oh boy, that's a high degree of difficulty. Aiken isn't the only one who's who's running. I mean, there's obviously others. Right. I guess before we get to the others, my question is, in this highly educated, extremely blue district in North Carolina, will Aiken's... Will his gayness or identity outweigh, I have to say, I, for some of these voters, I think it would be a big minus that he's coming from the world of, from the world of like uh, American Idol. I think there's probably yeah. a lot of people in the Chapel Hill area who, who are totally supportive of gay, gay rights and gay representation, but probably are kind of a little snobby when it comes to like, oh, that singing contest television show where they sing pop music. Right. No, I think you're right. The snobby factor. Yeah. Clay Aiken is, uh, yeah, he's a member of the hoi polloi probably to the NPR Mm -hmm. set. Right. If he was a, if he was like a openly gay, openly gay, former contestant, not on American Idol, but on like, uh, Chaucer exegesis fortnightly airing exclusively on NPR. Maybe, yeah, the, you I know, mean, they would be yeah. like, oh, this is interesting. This guy is a well-rounded individual. Uh, David Price, as we all know, was a professor, you know, in economics. Yeah, right. He came out of an academic background, political science and philosophy and stuff. A total nerd and not the greatest politician and not, <laughs> I mean, not in a sense that he was charismatic anyway, if you ever met him. Uh, but he certainly got the job done. He was a lovely dork. Clay Aiken would be very charismatic, uh, but I don't know if this area, if that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. He's running against other people that that have firsts as well. Um, he's he's yeah. Let's go down the list of who he's running against just just quickly, just to mention them. Um, just so we'll say there's no market on on predict it right now for this. No, there's there not. Thanks again for nothing. Predictit.org. He's also running against state Senator Valerie Fushi. She's an African-American woman, Orange County native, and she made history as the first black woman elected to the Orange County commissioners. Uh, There's another state senator, a guy named Wiley Nickel, who lives in Cary and has worked in politics for a while. He's worked for Al Gore and Obama. He moved to North Carolina in 2009. And also there is a Muslim American woman by the name of Nida Alam. Her bio on Twitter, first Muslim woman elected to public office in North Carolina, dog mom of Otis and Nala, Democrat for Congress running to build a brighter future for North Carolina six. And then in her location, instead of saying something like Cary or Carborough or Raleigh or Chapel Hill, it says Eno Lumbee Okanichi land. Oh, she's got your vote. I know you like that. Yeah. Oh, and she actually, she uh, she had Okanichi. See, Okanichi is spelled a number of different ways. It's spelled two different ways. The tribe actually spells it with an A and like the state of North Carolina spells it with an O. And she had it, spe- she had like a, 
a combination of both spellings. Were you loving which that? Was, would, no, I didn't like it. I, oh. I thought she needed to choose one or the other. So I sent her a DM and she actually fixed it. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. And explain who Okanichi, explain what you're talking I mean, about o- here. O- o- the Okanichi Saponi tribe is a, is a tribe here in North Carolina up in, in Orange County and uh, Alamance County. Um, so, yeah. Eno was a tribe that's no longer here. The Lumbees are still here. Um, and yeah, she has that on her bio is the location where she lives. Because this obviously was originally not Chapel Hill, Carborough. And she entered into politics shortly after her best friend was murdered in Chapel Hill along with two other people in a, you know, sad, sad oh, I incident remember that. back in 2015. Yeah. Oh, I totally and, remember that. Yeah. So that's, that's her friend? Who, yeah. Oh, Clay. I don't know, dude. So she's young. She's only 28 years old. I don't know how old Clay Aiken is. Clay Aiken is 43 years old. But she's young, and there's probably people telling her it's not time yet for her. But she's not waiting around. And yeah, I think the NPR set in the area may be more inclined to vote for her than Clay Aiken. And when when Megan McCain, who some of you may not know this, she's actually the daughter of the late Senator John McCain. Megan McCain, the Republican, who, whose husband runs the Federalist. When she tweeted her support to Clay Aiken after his announcement, uh, Alam was not having it. Oh, uh, yeah. Megan McCain, congratulations on your campaign launch. Clay Aiken, we love you, American flags. And then she wrote, if you're looking for a candidate in the strong Democratic seat who isn't being backed by Republicans, <laughs> and then she has a link to her Act Blue donate page. The battle is joined. Yeah. Predicted.org. Give us our damn market. We want a who will win the Democratic primary in NC6, and we want it today. Give us that market, Predicted. Yes. John? Yep. Donald Trump, who many of you may or may not know, used to be the literal president of the United States. He had a rally the other day, and I assumed that his rally and the glories attending said rally would make his market on predicted surge. Who will be the GOP 2024 presidential nominee? And I was stealing myself for another bath because obviously I have $200 invested in him not being the nominee. That money is always underwater because he probably is going to be the nominee, which is incredible. But this rally actually made my portfolio a little better, I think. Why is that? Was the rally not was the rally not wonderful? There was a ton of hype leading up to it and then it didn't really get much coverage because as we all know Trump is not on Twitter anymore and Fox News didn't cover it. So he did say some completely outlandish things as you would expect, but uh I thought it was interesting that Fox didn't cover it. Yeah, and why didn't maybe- they cover it? I, you know, maybe they're... Are they ready for DeSantis? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, there's going to be a little DeSantis-Trump action, and Trump is reportedly pretty ticked off at DeSantis right now because he hasn't come out and said that he's not going to run if if Trump runs, which is what everyone else has said. But when you think about it, 
all these other people that are sort of bowing down to Trump saying, yeah, I'm not going to run if you run. I'll only run unless you do. That's not very alpha. And yeah, I think. Republicans want total alpha. They want a total strongman. So in order to win the nominee, I think DeSantis is probably doing the right thing by, you know, he's not necessarily taking Trump on directly, but he's certainly not backing down right now. High wire act from old Ron DeSantis. Yeah, it might completely backfire on him. High risk, high reward. But I think it's the only way you win. Uh, Ron DeSantis, of course, is the Republican governor of which state, John? Uh, Florida. So the Trump rally was not carried on Fox News. No. It started out with all this talk of overwhelming cheating algorithms and a demand to get rid of Dominion. That's the voting system company that is currently suing everybody who has disparaged it for billions of dollars. Yeah. Aren't they suing Giuliani? They're suing the pillow guy. Uh, Mike Lindell, the man who said he had evidence to put 300 million Americans in jail for voting fraud. A small, that would be a pretty small scandal. Can you imagine if 300 million Americans got arrested for voting fraud? Oh, yeah. The rally ended with Trump claiming that white people were being told to go to the back of the line in New York when it came to uh, receiving vaccines. And That's just good old fashioned, incredible, all American 20th century fascism right there. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really incredible. So, it really is. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump. We don't know what will happen. That's all I have to say to you, Mr. Trump. Boy, oh boy, Trump versus DeSantis. Could this really... You know, actually, John, this reminds me of a square that I have on my bingo card, on my 2022 bingo card. Oh, yeah? I haven't finished making it yet, but I have been working diligently on it. And as we've iterated over and over again, or I should say as we have reiterated, it's really hard to come up with just the right square. But I did have one about at the intersection of MAGA and COVID, I have... Ron DeSantis challenges Donald Trump to get COVID with him so they can see which one of them is tougher once and for all. Doesn't that seem like the kind of a name thing that would happen on a debate stage? You know what? That is crazy that you did that. And that's much better than the one that I came up. I had one that they would challenge each other to some sort of feats of strength. But uh, yeah, yours is much better. Because Trump came out in an interview and criticized DeSantis for being disingenuous about whether or not he's gotten the booster, right? Right. He was like, all these politicians talk a big game and then they get really quiet when it says whether they've had the booster. And Trump said, I think everyone should get the booster. Trump is mad that he that he admitted that he got the booster. And now so he's he biffed to, it. Yeah, he never should have yeah. admitted he got the booster. It makes him look. Yeah, so he's weird. trying to pull everyone else. Yeah, in. exactly. Oh, human psychology is fascinating. Yeah. DeSantis came out and criticized Trump for being pro shutdown pro-lockdown during COVID, which we all know Trump was totally for locking down. Yeah, yeah, he was for locking down. Right. That would have been a good one to have on your bingo card. Let's turn to a different market. J.D. Vance versus Josh Mandel, my favorite market, featuring my personal bearded hero, J.D. Vance. Why now, John, am I underwater yet again with J.D. Vance, now trailing Josh Mandel by six cents, a paltry 31 cents compared to Josh Mandel's magnificent 37 cents in the Ohio Senate primary. The latest polling that has come out has shown uh, Mandel ahead by about 
six points. Oh, that's just one. It's it's one poll. JD. But yeah, the conventional wisdom now seems to be trending a bit in the direction of perhaps JD Vance does not have a lane. <gasps> so there's no room for him. The MAGA choice is Josh Mandel, really? I mean, I don't know if he's MAGA or not, but he's suddenly... It's pronounced MAGA. MAGA, MAGA, yeah, MAGA. Dorothy, fetch me my MAGA hat. I feel like attending one of President Trump's rallies this evening. Yes, Chester, I'll bring it right to you. MAGA. MAGA! Is that a good way to say it? Yeah, yeah. Fucking J.D. Vance. I'm going to... I'm going to... Go take a bath thanks to this guy. Yeah. Here's my bingo card for J.D. Vance. It intersects J.D. Vance and North Carolina politics. The best thing I could come up with was Madison Cawthorn challenges J.D. Vance to a tree punching contest, which results in J.D. Vance somehow actually getting beat up by a tree. Yeah. That's just a little silly one. That was just, you know, that was just a little something fun on my bingo card. They're all kind of silly, right? Yeah, I guess they are. Ugh. Anyway. I'm disappointed that I'm going to lose all this money on J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance has been sending me a lot of emails. He's even offering me a signed copy of his book, Hillbilly Elegy. Did you see the movie? Which movie? Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, no. Did you? Okay. No. The, the things that I have on my bingo card, I have David and North Carolina intersecting. David Reese, as in me? David Reese. Kid Midas. What do you have? Because I have one about myself yeah. in North Carolina politics. And it, it says that David will abandon the Hollywood lifestyle <gasps> and move back to North Carolina and attempt to get the old anonymous rock band back together. I'm never going to give up the Hollywood lifestyle. You can erase that square right now. I'm addicted to the Hollywood lifestyle. Okay. Well, maybe you'll live it in North Carolina. The Hollywood lifestyle is incredible. All you do all day, pitch movies, eat salads with power agents, go to a screening at night, hit the club, <laughs> lease a Lamborghini for the weekend, drive to Palm yeah. Springs, do drugs, almost drown in the pool, and then some wise old stranger gives you life advice that helps you put everything in a new perspective. I'm not going to make shoot 'em up action movies anymore. John, from now on, I'm producing feel-good movies that celebrate America's core values. Hillbilly Elegy, Part 2, The Reckoning. Hillbilly Elegy, Part 3, Three Fast, Three Hillbilly. Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy, Part 4, Four Hill, Four Billy. Hillbilly yeah, Elegy, good... Part 5. Yeah. Uh, fifth, uh, never mind. I guess the franchise will stop after four movies. Yeah, that was a good good, good one on four. Yeah, th thanks. I was, I'm try Listen, man. I'm trying out here, man. I'm trying out here in Hollywood. I'm hustling and I'm sweating and I'm just trying to make my dreams come true. I'm just trying to close this deal with these Hillbilly Elegy movies. Do I need J.D. Vance's permission to make movies about Hillbilly Elegy? How, I don't know how that works. I have to ask my power agent. Probably not if you buy like an NFT of a picture of Hillbilly Elegy. Then yes, and then the... I'm making a movie about the NFT. I'm not making the movie about Hillbilly Elegy. Right. Yeah, oh, you John, you just copyright. saved me so much money in legal fees. Thank you, buddy. Do you want an executive no producer credit? Sure. It'll say Hillbilly Elegy 6, and then it'll say executive, it'll say direct, written and directed by Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider, starring Keanu Reeves, the original Hillbilly, executive produced by John Kimball, the original Helicopter Tony. Uh, yeah, I like it. Exterior, 
West Virginia mining town, a rundown shack. We hear screens from off camera. Smash cut to interior. A young hillbilly, played by Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. cooks meth on a stove. His Mima walks in. Mima, are you still cooking that damn meth, you good for nothing hillbilly? Finish it up. We need to make money. Hillbilly. Mima, you can't rush perfection. A watch a watch pot never boils. Mima, this ain't top chef, you damn hillbilly. Now cook that meth or let me smoke it. One of the two. Sound from off camera. A honking truck horn. Hink honk. Hink honk. <laughs> hillbilly. Well, that'll be old Busta coming around. Enter Busta Rhymes, the uh, Busta Rhymes, the famous rapper. I can't believe my plane crashed in this mining town, and I've been living here for two years, and no one can find me, and I gotta hang out with these damn hillbillies. Hurry up! We're late to go to the studio to record our new album about me living with you, you damn hillbilly. The end. All right. Bad boys of the week. Everybody, get ready. Yeah, yeah. Everybody have fun. Party, party. It's Bad Boys of the Week. Let's get it poppin'. Bad Boys are number one. Who is the number one bad boy? All right, lay it on me. We have a White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, throwing a little shade at southern states who are, quote unquote, overreacting to snow warnings. John, listen to this tweet from Jen Psaki. All right. Growing up in the Northeast, I will never understand the closing of stores and restaurants when there is barely an inch of snow on the ground yet. Man. Is that a good sentence? I guess it's okay. Growing up in the Northeast, I will never understand the closing of stores and restaurants when there is barely an inch of snow on the ground yet. No, the yet doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the yet is doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That was smart. Why did this Put make you so upset? Because Southerners are just naturally prickly uh, about lots of things. Because the Southern, the, the South is always the butt of a lot of jokes. Now, it is funny that a lot of people in the South cannot drive in the snow and there are some funny things that happen. But it's not because people in the South are stupid or the South doesn't know uh, what it's doing. It's just that we don't have that infrastructure here and we shouldn't have that infrastructure here because it doesn't make economic sense. It snows maybe once or twice a year, one or two inches, and then it's gone in 48 hours. What's your overall impression of Jen Psaki? We've never really talked about her on our podcast. I don't think I like her. I don't know. She's from Connecticut. There's a certain cohort of the Biden administration. Like, okay, so you know how Biden last week, they announced they're going to start sending out masks to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Right on time. (laughs) <laughs> just in the nick of time. And uh, they, the Politico had an article about it. They quoted this anonymous administration official. It says a senior administration official. Listen to this. This person argued that an effort to send N95 or KN95 masks to Americans would make little difference because, quote, half the country won't wear a mask. It may be popular in certain corners of Twitter, but for masking to work as a public health tool, people need to actually wear them. To prevent spread, the focus should be on maximizing the number of people simply wearing a mask in the first place, not shifting the goalposts to urge everyone to go above and beyond to use high filtration masks to make it less likely they themselves will inhale particles. It's kind of the subtext of a lot of this stuff is kind of like, yeah, why should we why should we try? 
it's just not going to work. So why try? It just feels like. Yeah. Why? What's the point? Why even say that? Maybe it won't work. But yeah. On certain corners of Twitter, this is a good. Fuck you. Get off Twitter then. Don't read. Don't read what we're tweeting about. Yeah. If you don't want people upset that you're not sending out free masks and tests to everybody during the fucking new surge. Because what? On certain corners of Twitter. What that means is. We don't want to be pushed by anybody. Just let us do the bare minimum and then be shocked when people are pissed off. I mean, come on. How many how many months into the pandemic are we and they still haven't sent free masks to everybody? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't need a free mask. I've had a – I can't believe people have been rocking cloth masks until like three weeks ago. Yeah. I, I don't – frankly, I don't know how you guys finally figured that out, but I figured that out a long time ago. But here's the thing. Not everybody can afford a KN95. Exactly. Uh, and me me working at home, I can use a KN95 a lot. You know, if I was working somewhere out in public, I'd be going through a lot more of them than I currently am, and it would be much more expensive. So the idea of sending them out, I think it could be helpful. Absolutely, it could be helpful. And also, what does it do? It lets everybody... I can't believe... And I could be wrong, but I can't believe two years into this pandemic, I don't think I've ever once received any piece of information in the mail from the government about this pandemic. Do you remember during the AIDS crisis when the Surgeon General C. Everett Koop sent every house in America a brochure about AIDS and how to prevent the spread of AIDS? And that was the fucking no. Reagan administration. You can't – the Reagan administration where hundreds and thousands of people died because of their ineptitude and their callousness, right? Right. They still managed to send every American information about the AIDS crisis. I do think that's a real memory I have. Interesting. And then you have these Biden people being like, oh, why should we bother? Half the people won't wear them. So fucking half the people will wear them. That's great. Give us a free mask. And also it lets people know this is a big deal. We're sending you this mask. We want you to wear it. Right. And sometimes Saki's responses to certain things, like someone was asking at the press conference the other day, like uh, the Biden administration agenda is totally stalled. What are you going to do? And she said, well, it'd be a lot easier if we were voting on bunnies and ice cream. What? I don't know, man. Something about something about it. I don't know. Yeah, she's probably fine. But she screwed up on that tweet making fun of the South and All the right. snow. That's your bugaboo. I yeah. won't forgive. You won't for, forgive. For that. Okay. So we have two nominees so far. We have Jen Psaki, and I'm last minute nominating the senior administration official because I do think there's a little sneering contempt there. Who's probably Jen Psaki. Yeah, it kind of shades into bad boy material. But now here's the main event. John, right. oh, I got some bad boys for you. What a week. What a week I had in, uh, researching these bad boys. Have you ever heard of a podcast called Red Scare? No. Oh, my gosh. John, welcome to my world. So Red Scare, <laughs> this story is really- Is this something you listen to? We are, a, we are in different worlds, This is we? so incredible to me. I only, I've only ever listened to one episode, and it's the episode that I'm going to talk. So Red Scare is like a culture politics podcast hosted by two cigarettes. All right. And uh, it's it's part of this, like, you know, what they call the dirtbag left, like the Chapo Trap House World extended yeah. universe. Like the, Are we part of that? Yeah, yeah. We're definitely a part of that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, these people are like 50 years younger than us. Okay. All right. And they, it's, it's two women. One is Dasha and one is Anna. I cannot tell them apart. And I'm so, it's, but I'm not being sexist because I can't tell the pod safe America guys apart either. When there's, when they're people on the mic and they both sound identical, they both sound like Daria impersonating William F. Buckley Jr. I can't tell which is which, mm, but they're like, that a, sound, it's a little sexist. It's like a, you know, it's like a hard left contrarian thing. It's kind of where you kind of start to believe the horseshoe theory. Like they've interviewed Steve Bannon 
you know, Glenn Greenwald. They mm-hmm. there's nothing they hate more than the libs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they've fucking talked to fucking Zizek all the time. This Yahoo, I can't. I've been listening to this guy for thirty years. I can't t- fucking understand a single theory he's talking about. And that th- and they hate the anti-vaccine mask scolds because for them that's peak neoliberal. You know. Democratic Karen people policing each other's mask use. These women have right. no time for that. They're young and dangerous, right? And they're and they right. want to trigger their lips. Okay, so this podcast went dark for a month. No updates. Then they came back and, and released an episode recently. John, guess what viral disease both the hosts had caught in the previous month? Mm, I'm gonna guess COVID. It was COVID. They both came down with COVID. One of them had been vaxxed because <laughs> she had a bit part on the most recent season of Succession, so she had to get vaxxed. The other one, <laughs> so she did okay when she caught Omicron. The okay. other one had not been vaxxed and wound up in the hospital and almost died. Oh, no. She said that she didn't get vaxxed because she had a young baby and she was worried about, I guess, I don't know, breastfeeding with the vaccine or whatever, like... My understanding is like the doctors. Yeah, I thought it was supposed to help. I think doctors are still recommending that pregnant women or nursing women should still get vaccinated. But what do I know? Right. Right. Anyway. So this one, this was one of them almost died. She was worried she was never going to see her baby again. Mm. And, but she won't. This is a, this is true. Bad boy behavior. She won't say that she got sick with COVID. She says that catching COVID triggered an autoimmune disorder within her that hospitalized her. Hmm. So you can't be mad at her for not being vaccinated against COVID because she wasn't sick because of COVID. She was sick because of a COVID triggered disease, which Mm. also might have also been triggered if she had been vaccinated. Mm. She's talking about like health. (laughs) That's talking all about her baby's health. And then someone, someone, Posted a photo of the two of them hugging Alex Jones, and this woman has a big gulp and a cigarette in her hand. It's like, oh, I've seen that picture. Party, party. So the subreddit for this podcast, which I dipped into in researching this, is incredible. So this subreddit is like an edgelord circle jerk 24-7. If if you ever miss the, the slurs that we used to use in middle school and high school when we were young and callous and idiots, all those slurs are still very much in use on this subreddit. Hmm. Because they trigger the libs, right? These people are not PC. These people don't play by mommy's rules. These people are Hillary Clinton's worst nightmare, right? This subreddit is like the kind of subreddit where they think AOC is a sellout and they make fun of AOC for being scared on January 6th. Mm. It's nothing but bad boys all the way down. (laughs) So what happened was when this one host got really sick with COVID and and was anti-vax and then got COVID and tried to pretend that she didn't really actually get sick because of COVID... And they couldn't figure out why the one who had been vaccinated didn't get as sick as the one who was unvaccinated. The sub kind, a lot of people in this subreddit, this community kind of turned on her and they were like, you're such an idiot. Just admit you made a huge mistake. Just admit it. Uh, And then it turned out she got super thin skin. Listen to what she tweeted. This, This is the one named Anna, the one who got really sick. All right. She says, I'll recover from the illness and I'll get over the personal insults. But I will never be able to wrap my brain around the sort of mindset that delights in the pain, suffering, and misfortune of others. Then someone replied, "Uh, you make a podcast dedicated to being cruel and mean-spirited. Why did you think you would be the exception? This is like the students have become the masses like that Darth Vader thing, right? Yeah. It's like I learned it from watching you. 
Then she said, anyone claiming that they're just mirroring the tone of our podcast is either stupid or a liar. There's no equivalence between tossed off snark and existential malice. Ooh. Whoa. Rhetorical jujitsu up in this motherfucker. So when she says something, it's tossed off snark. But when her fans say something about her, that's what we call existential malice. It's at that moment that I think the bad boy facade kind of breaks because a bad boy, I mean, it does happen a lot. It's sad to say, like all bullies, like I used to, you know, it's like the bullies are always totally thin skinned. Think about former president Donald Trump. He'll lash out with zinger after zinger. And then as soon as somebody zings him, it's like his brain explodes and he can't handle how unfair everyone's being to him. I kind of think this woman on Red Scare is kind of having the same reaction. Yeah. It's like you fostered the biggest community of bad boy podcast listeners. These people are so, and I hate to sound like an old person, but I am. Well, these people are like, just like so rude and, and, and callous, you know, and kind of tacky, but they're young. I mean, I forgive anyone under the age of 40 for just being an absolute nihilist who wants to burn everything to the ground because you're not going to be inheriting much from previous generations, right? Yep. A destroyed planet, crushing debt. Yep. You know, a bunch of rhetorical flourishes that mask a fundamental inaction to make society better. I get it. Everyone, everyone can be a nihilist. I don't, I don't care about that. But boy, oh boy, the bad boy posturing. And then these bad boys turned on her and started dunking on her because she got sick, because she was worried about the vaccine because of health, because of health risks. Uh, was her health very risk when she was in the hospital for weeks and weeks? It was crazy. Unreal. You have to be careful. All, this is a public service announcement to all bad boys. We all love your contrarian takes. It's stimulating and, and we just love to be in the presence of bad boys. It's electrifying. And we all love these old-fashioned slurs from the 80s that were so cutting edge back when fucking DJ Jazzy Jeff was on the air. And we think it's great that millennials are adopting them as like their own weird perverted identity politics. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, you guys got to be careful with these vaccine stuffs, right? Yeah. You know, you can't blame her or her co-host for, for getting COVID. I mean, it's, it's, it's highly contagious, the Omicron variant. But yeah, you can definitely blame her for not uh, owning up to the fact that it was perhaps less than smart to not be vaccinated. Owning up to it, though, is fatal to her bad boy reputation. You know, a bad boy facade can be very delicate. And as soon as you let an ounce of sunlight in, as soon as you admit to the slightest mistake, it's hard to still be a bad boy. Being a bad boy means never having to say you're sorry. Isn't that the first rule of mm. bad boys? Isn't that why we love being bad boys? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Bad boys are number one. So I have to choose between those. So here you go. Red Scare, we're counting them as a single unit. Okay, the Red Scare hosts. Right. And yep. then we have this un anonymous senior administration official who said, why bother sending masks? These idiots won't wear them. So don't ask us to do anything for anybody. Thank God Biden didn't listen to that person. And then Jen Psaki, White House spokesperson and... and hater of Southern overreaction to, to ice. All right. I'll give it to the red scare women. Yeah. I think Jen Psaki wasn't necessarily trying to be a bad boy. Uh, she sort of fell into that. She, that, that was just irresponsible. Obviously the red scare people want, want it. They, they, they do want it. it. You know what? And they got it. It means a lot to them to get this award because they really are the ones who wanted it. So we give it to them. Yeah. We honor any fellow podcaster and we hope all podcasters achieve their dreams and we hope that they all continue to labor towards perfecting their personal brand 
even at you know even at the cost of spending a long time in an ICU away from their newborn baby. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's your podcast brand. It's one of the few things you take with you when you shuffle off this mortal coil. Right. Special announcement. Coming up very soon, because it's a new year, we are going to have a special Patreon episode. Annual Q&A Spectacular. Yeah, we have asked our, our patrons to pipe in and give us their questions, and we'll do our best to answer them. And that will be coming out uh, in uh, a short time. And if you are interested yourself in becoming a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash election profit makers, all one word, election profit makers. And I'm still sending out these wonderful new stickers to all new Patreons are getting some stickers in the mail. All right. Listener questions. A Discord user asked me for recommendations for how to get started with pedal building, and I'm going to save that for the Patreon Q&A. Okay. So let's keep moving. I will say, I'm going to say, I'll say this to everybody. This is important enough that I don't want to put it behind the Patreon paywall. If you want to start building your own kits from places like Build Your Own Clone or whatever, a fuzz pedal is good because a fuzz pedal circuit is actually pretty simple. But I would just warn all of you, as I will warn people in the Patreon Q&A, that wiring up foot switches, you should probably have some soldering experience before you do that. Because I find wiring the nine legs of a foot switch pretty, pretty frustrating at times. But yeah, fuzz pedals are the way to go, I, I would say. A f- good fuzz pedal is a great beginner pedal because it's a very dramatic effect, obviously, and it's not too complicated. Don't make the, mis- don't make the mistake I make and have the second pedal you ever try to build be a fucking optical tr- harmonic tremolo. This pedal's so busted, I don't know what I did. I did like $10,000 worth of damage to a $150 pedal kit. <laughs> to my everlasting shame, I haven't the faintest idea what to do with it. If you guys remember last week... We had a little uh, argument about some rocks that I had found, and and uh, I thought that they might be something interesting. David said they were just rocks. I said they could be preforms to tools, and uh, we decided to put it out to our patrons and let them weigh in on what they thought. Um, I sent them a video, uh, and I said that I to David I wasn't sure a video would be able to do it justice. And the people that weighed in said it was difficult uh, looking at a video. But we did have three archaeologists jump in and give their opinion on the rocks. So I just want to you know, give them credit for that and, and read instead of just giving my interpretation of what they, what they said. Uh, Kate wrote in that she says she's not very good at lithics. I, I'm imagining she's probably being modest. There. What are lithics? But she's lithics are like the, the study of stone tool making and how they fracture and have been modified and 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 things of that nature. Okay. So uh, she says she's pretty sure that the big one, <clears throat> the big one that I found at Mike's, is nothing. She says the little littler one might be something. The key difference I'm noticing is the doming on top of the little one. It's characteristic of a percussion bulb when rock is deformed through striking. Um, Are you going to explain what any of that means? I I can't really explain what it is. Does it mean that the uh, rock gets a bulge in it when you smash it? It's like it moves the actual mass of the rock? Right. Right. All right. So I'm not an expert in in lithics. So um, another 
archaeologist wrote in. This one, this one is based in in North Carolina. A North Carolina archaeologist wrote in about your North Carolina rocks. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Now, he, your, your tools that you found, yeah, your supercomputers yeah, that you found in the dirt. He's on the coast, so he's not. He's not necessarily a specialist. Uh, on he's Central not North in the Carolina. Triassic Basin. No, he's not in the Triassic Basin or the Carolina Slate Belt. None of that. All right. So. He writes in, I am an archaeologist. I TA'd in lithics when in grad school. Lithics are difficult, and I only completed a few projects as the lithics specialist before transitioning to a federal position. Again, I think he's probably being modest. Um, He says, there are clear places where there is striking. The scarring is consistent on a couple of faces you showed, but this happens a lot with gravel and with bedded stone. It could be expedient tools, even without formal shaping. That is the best argument for, quote, it looks like something that fits in your hand, in which case you would check edgeware, see if there is good evidence of shaping on the rest of it. Then he puts in parentheses, I do not see it. <gasps> then he says, it could be a preform, could be a test, part of a larger piece with a few quick strikes to see how the quality and the bedding is in the stone. He adds, the characteristic scarring you have means they have been percussion flaked, exclamation point. And that could certainly be by people but also by falling, being driven over, or any number of things. So closer examination can help with the size of the object that hit it, the direction, and the force. But it's hard to assess on video. Send him the rocks. Send him the rocks. Uh, Finally, the last archaeologist wrote in, career archaeologist here working mostly in the Southwest. My quick two cents is that the smaller one might be an artifact. I'd need to take a closer look, but it could be a flake used as a scraper knife, but the rock type just isn't great for a legit sharp edge. I would agree with that. The rock in this area of the country and the state is pretty horrible. Um, What do you mean the rock is, how can rocks be horrible? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, in a lot of places in the country, like in Texas or Missouri and things like that, that they have the really good rhyolite and obsidian and, and they can really make good tools. Now, there are some places in North Carolina, like Morrow Mountain, which is to the southwest of here, that has better rock than right here in Orange County, where this was found. But uh, this other archaeologist, Joshua, says, in in his opinion, the big one is almost certainly natural. Thank you. What did I say last week? you, You said they were both rocks. You said... And you said that the big one was a rock. And it seems like there's a bit of a split decision. You have two of the three are saying they think it's natural. The third is saying, yeah, there's evidence of some flaking and percussion, but he can't say for sure what caused that. John, the debate was not whether there was evidence for flaking and percussion on these rocks. The debate was, are these preforms or tools? So there's not really a split decision, bro. Don't Donald Trump the election with this. Don't be calling... Don't be calling Georgia and being like, I just need you to find two more votes. It it seems like they all think it's possible to likely that the small one is a tool, an artifact, and that the other one probably isn't. So I guess, yeah, if I were looking at it in in that sense, yeah, you're, you're right. I was wrong. They are the experts. Now, they haven't handled the tools, but- The rocks. Um, Excuse me. I saw that. You're mm, begging the question. The here. rocks. Um but I felt good to, that at least one of them got some confirmation, as much confirmation as you could get on a on a blurry video. But I always sort of knew that that one was something. So I was disappointed to hear that the one at Mike's house was probably nothing and that it was just a coincidence that it looked very similar to the other. 
but I accept it. I actually just remembered something, John. Your story about rocks reminds me so much of when I became convinced that I had an original Saul Steinberg chair. The legendary 20th century illustrator Saul Steinberg, who did all those legendary New Yorker covers, Mm -hmm. he used to paint on anything, paper bags, bathtubs, and he also painted on furniture, on wooden chairs and on, on upholstered chairs. And there's a very famous upholstered chair he drew. He on on the chair in like black charcoal or black paint. He drew a woman formed to be sitting on the chair, mm-hmm. a woman in like a house dress. My godmother, her mom was an antiques dealer in Connecticut and had this chair and always said it was an original Saul Steinberg. And years and years and years ago, I came to possess this chair. My godmother gave it to me, and I have the Saul Steinberg book with the photo of this chair in it. It's basically identical, except there's some curls of hair in the photo that are no longer visible on the chair. I wrote to the Saul Steinberg estate with a, with a scan of the page of the book that had the photo of this chair, and then alongside that, a photo of the actual chair as I had it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I believe I'm in possession of a Saul Steinberg chair as seen in this book on page blah, 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 blah. Could you please confirm? Subtext being like, please tell me I'm about to be a millionaire. Right. Saul Steinberg mm-hmm. stuff is valuable. Right. Like he's yeah, he's a big deal. The, the audacity of the Saul Steinberg. Is, let me find this email real quick. Let me search through my email real quick for Saul Steinberg. And I know <laughs> okay. we're going over time, but this is really. No, no, no. I understand now I'm having a, a blast of fellow feeling. OK, here it is. Boy, oh, boy. When was this is 13 years ago? I, oh, my God. Oh! <laughs> OK, here's what I wrote to the Saul Steinberg Foundation. Hello. Imagine me trying to sound like such a grown-up. I believe I am in possession of the Saul Steinberg chair photographed in The Passport. The Passport was one of his, uh, you know, coffee table books of all his work. See attached images. My godmother gave it to me last week. Her mother managed estate sales in the mid-20th century. Apparently, she got the chair at a Connecticut estate sale in the late 1950s or early 60s. As you can see, the chair has suffered damage as my godmother and her husband used it regularly for the past 40 plus years. Most of the detailed brushwork has faded. However, you can still make out some of the smaller curls in the woman's hair. In the photo in the passport, the chair has casters, you know, like wheels on the legs. I asked my godfather about this and he says he seems to remember removing the casters decades ago. Please advise. <laughs> Sincerely, David Reese. I was trying to act like such a big time art, you know, hello. <laughs> so I sent them a, f- oh, look. <laughs> I sent them a photo of the chair so they could really see the artwork on right. it. And then I composed a photograph. I did this all in camera. I should be a DP. I sent the, <laughs> it pains me to say this to our listeners. I sent them a photograph with the chair in the foreground and then in the background, and on a book holder, I have open to the to the relevant page, I have a photo of the chair in the Saul Steinberg book. Like, see, yes. they're both in the same photograph. They must be the same, right? Uh. I, and then I just sat back and waited. I, I, want, I was waiting for that email to be like, dear Mr. Reese, we have received your email and we compliment your eye. You're a truly a curator in the making. Would $40,000 be an acceptable uh, opening bid for this chair? No. Here's what she wrote back. Dear Mr. Reese, thank you for writing to the foundation. As indicated on our website, the foundation does not authenticate. So all I can do is give you the following information. 
The chair in your photograph is not the one reproduced in the passport. There are many differences, sometimes subtle and hard to spot immediately in the lines. For example, the spirals that comprise the hair are not quite the same, and some of them are missing, an absence which actually cannot be explained by fading since the extant spirals would have faded as well. Oh, God, I was was reading this. My my heart was in my throat. And there are parts of the passport composition that are also not in your chair. The buttons and collar of the dress, the details on the sleeves. The nose is differently shadowed as well. This woman is killing me. You didn't notice any of this? And there is noticeable variation in the width of lines. The wood frame in the book is dark, and I can't explain the dark area that seems to have been, quote, painted on the seat and back of your chair, which makes no sense in terms of Seinberg's conception of these inhabited chairs. Oh, my God. Finally, the fabric on the chair is not the same as the fabric in the passport reproduction. The latter clearly has a horizontal weave, whereas the fabric in your chair seems to be smooth, possibly velvet or velour. Although I don't know the present whereabouts of the chair photographed in the passport, it certainly isn't the one you have. I hope this has been of some help to you. With best wishes, blah, blah, executive director of the Saul Steinberg Foundation. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Did I get destroyed I, I, very hard by you the You did Saul get Steinberg. destroyed. And I, and, and I would like to thank the archaeologists that weighed in for not destroying me like that. Although maybe they maybe they wanted to, uh, they at least let me down easy. I got murdered by the Saul Steinberg founder. I'm reading that again. Yeah. It's just like I mean that's brutal. They must have been howling with laughter over at the Saul Steinberg Foundation offices. Me trying to say I have this Saul Steinberg chair. I have this Saul Steinberg chair. Come get so my chair. So when you looked at it again, did you? No, did you... it's totally the same chair. It's total. I'm going to send this to you. It's right. totally the same chair. I'm with you. I think it is the chair, and they're just mad. And I think these that's archaeologists right. They're haters. Just... They're mad that I have yeah, it, and they yeah. don't. And these archaeologists are the same way. They're mad that I discovered something that should be in the Smithsonian, right. and it will be in the Smithsonian. John, I eventually. flipped over. I agree with you now that I can relate to it from my own shame. Okay. Listen, if this isn't the chair in the passport. It's still a Saul Steinberg chair. I just know it. It just looks just like Saul Steinberg stuff. Yeah. It's got to be. It is. This might be a Saul Steinberg chair that was top secret that was never even photographed in any of his books, and that makes it even more valuable. Yeah. Just adjust adjust your original hypothesis. It doesn't have to be that one. It's just another one. I have to say this chair has also been in storage in Beckett's dad's garage, and it better fucking still be there because we're sitting on a gold mine. If I find out that they took it to the Goodwill and Fishkill, I'm going to be furious. This chair is a pile of money. Beckett's dad, don't let anybody take my famous chair. All right. Well, I think we're done. What do you think? No, I think that's, I think we went really. This is going to be a long episode to to everyone's delight. This is an independent podcast called Election Profit Makers. You can support us on Patreon or you, and then you can rate and review us on iTunes and op, Apple Podcasts and other, other wonderful places. Yes, please leave a review. That, that's help, that really helps uh, us. All right, the end. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember when my first meal was school lunch? Now I spit a 16 straight with no punch. Remember off of dinner, all we ate was Captain Crunch? Now we blow big blunts on our way to brunch. Went from good fella to commissary slips. Now I got back up, man, every time I slept. Never ever quit, I just kept on pursuing. Teacher always asked me, what was I doing? Scribbled in my notebook and never did homework. Low attention spans, guess these Adderall work. Rock 
Tommy Hill shirts, ones with the boat. Rock poor kicks way before we even smoke. Used to have baby lungs choking when I hit it. Nowadays, face a whole seven in a sentence. Remember back then, man, we thought we growed up. Rushing at a kid just to be grown up. Yeah. Rushing at a kid just to be grown up. Yeah.